Tonight's reading is from Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great strength, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, text tonight is really going to focus on verse 18, especially this expression, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I want to understand that or move towards understanding it. And tonight, what kind of, I was thinking we kind of formed the structure for a number of messages ahead because there's a bunch of, that, that gets very detailed in the in verses that follow, the content of that knowledge, the content of that enlightenment. But I couldn't help but notice, was it a coincidence? The sovereign God deals in coincidences? Valentine's Day is tomorrow, and I'm preaching on the eyes of your heart. How, how fitting is that? I couldn't help but notice that they, 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 uh, they lined up together. And I, and I began to think about Valentine's Day. I did a little research, you know, go online. And, oh, yeah, it was named after a saint, martyred on this day, on February the 14th, in AD 269. And there may have been other saints as well that were combined in that, in that combo. There were other number of Valentines. Is that me? Yeah. And... Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of cool. And then, but then it was interesting to look at that and, and, and to kind of pop it open and look at issues, like things about the heart and this idea of heart shapes. And when did the heart get associated with romantic love, for example? Uh, it wasn't until the 14th century. Actually, the heart before that would have never been associated with romance or intimacy uh, uh, between people. And so, uh, and so it, it's in the, in the end of the medieval period, courtly love. That gets attached to this somehow. And then you get to the 18th century, and then you, fed the, you see the first, it's actually, I couldn't believe this. In the 1880s, you have the first heart-shaped boxes of chocolates and things like that. And, and, like that's, and, that, and it seemed to me, somehow in the Western culture in America, you, 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 it, where else could you get a holiday that had saints, sentiment, and sex all lined up together? I mean, it's just American, isn't it? It's kind of funny and the celebration of Valentine's Day. Of course, thinking about hearts, this is what it, so I, this is gonna, all this is to kind of a lead up to me, my, my first Valentine's Day post, you know, in the woods is hippie. So, you know, we come out of the woods, kind of out of the cold or in from the cold or whatever, and, and I remember going to school, and I remember my first Valentine's Day. We never celebrated Valentine's Day in my family. I, my parents had no recognition of that kind of stuff at all. And any of those trappings. And I remember, I remember, the, I remember the, the little box of candies, those little hearts. And, you know, all right, so I was, you know, you may find this hard to believe, but I was a strange child. And, uh, and I, 
I remember taking these hearts and like, and you know, the kids would hand them to each other and there'd be little messages and be mine and little colors on their hearts. And, and the, it's not a terribly good candy, actually. It's kind of chalky, sweet sugar. It's not even good candy, but, and I remember, believe it or not, I had no idea what was going on. And these, they were handing out these grab bags and I remember little girls handing me little heart messages and I read them, and I took them very personally. Like, I took them as sincerely. She wants to be mine? What? Like, I just, or she wants me to be hers or something like that. I absorbed it, and I had no idea what it was. But I was thinking it was kind of a hook, though, a little hook. <laughs> I have this picture tonight. The mess's message would be a little bit of a, a, little, a little grab bag. A little, I, picture, I picture each point being a little candy, a little sweet from the Lord, a little sweet message of love, a little sweetness for us. And I, and I, this guy, I know it's silly, but it's for you to help you remember these things. Because what I want to focus on is this, is, is actually this eyes of your heart enlightened. Actually, ha, eyes, heart, light. Those three words. And those three words constitute meaning in themselves. So, and each one kind of unpacks. So well, let's, let's see, because this then, after this message, I want to get into what this looks like with hope. What does it look like for hope to get in here? And that'll be next week. But uh, my first candy uh, that I imagine giving you is a little blue heart. It's a little blue heart candy I'm giving you. And, 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 uh, and on it is an eyeball. Is that the one? Yes, yeah, an open eye, an open eye, okay? That's the one I'm giving you, the first one. And that, that represents this first point. Paul prays here, you saw he's praying. He prays here, and we must pray also for the Spirit's work in our hearts because, I'm sorry, for the Spirit's work in our eyes. Ugh, I missed my own point. Because we so need accurate perception. Accurate perception. And the first word here is eyes. And you know how we're going to get accurate perception? Just by studying the Bible. We always get it by studying the Bible. And by studying this verse, we'll get it right here. And this is a lesson to all of us. Study your scriptures. Learn them well. Learn their words. And in them, you'll find life. You'll find meaning. You'll find understanding. But anyway, I just wanted to start with these string of analogies so you can see. Now, they all happen to be cognates. Eyes, ophthalmos. Ophthalmology? You recognize that? We use that word in art. We use that word in, mo in the modern world. The second word is cardia. Cardia. Cardiogram. We use that, we use that word too. A word for heart. And then the third word is uh, uh, enlightened. Photos. Photizo, actually. And we get, we get the word photo. We, we are using all, you would recognize these words in the Greek even. You would you go, I think I, I think I, I, what is it? You wouldn't know what it was saying, really, but you'd recognize the words. They're all cognates. And, and, and so it kind of builds a bridge to us. It builds a bridge to us. A little bit. But what I want to explore here is, is, is how these words can give us, can give us some, some joy, some, some insight. And, and these thirsty words, eyes, ophthalmos, this is a picture of our need for clarity. Uh, we are hungry for clarity. Hungry for things to make sense, to be able to perceive. And, and the word eyes are again and again. We even, if you noticed it, I, I took us back to uh, Psalm 119, which Paul is actually piggybacking on. Open, the, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. 
this is an ancient, this is an ancient idea. That the, eye, the eyes are like a doorway to the soul. They're, they're a doorway of perception and clarity. Heart, though, heart and cardia in the, in the Greek, labav in, in, in Hebrew, they both actually have a very similar meaning in the ancient world. And the idea was the heart was not, well, the heart was seen, and this is very true in the Hebrew, as the seat of all thinking, all feeling, and all decision making. In other words, the heart is a general term for all the processes that you make inside, all, all the different parts of your personality. So when it says you should love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, it's actually, he's, the, the writer there is expanding. He's saying a bunch of words that are repeating themselves in order to make a point about, about the totality of the call of God of that first command that uh, our brother asked us to pray for, uh, pray for us to fulfill. But you know, uh, so this idea of the heart, it's, uh, it's not meant to have, and that's why I brought, began with that, with that etymology of, of, the, of the concept. It wasn't meant to have the very narrow definition it tends to have in our day. It can mean everything. In fact, it's used so freely in the Hebrew, it can actually stand for the person making a decision, or it can stand for the thinking itself, or, and, the thought can, and the heart can have feeling and, and articulate that emotion. And if, in a beautiful way, it represents the sum total of wholeness of humanity. How about light, then? Well, this, is, this enlightening word this is perfect, and it's funny how these images stay so the same over time, because even in our age, what do you see in the cartoons and comics when somebody gets a good idea or they understand something? Ding! It's, 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 I mean, these ideas, these, now these are three analogies. These are three metaphors. And, and, I, and I was thinking, I want to begin with this point right out the gate. God uses analogies to tell us truth. And you must never think that that is a weak form of truth. Like that's a sub-truth. Oh, you know, they, he just uses, that's just poetry. Those are just images, and they don't necessarily tell us truth about how these things really are. And that simply isn't true. In fact, even advanced scientific knowledge, when it talks about a light being a wave or a particle, it's still using rudimentary, metaphorical language. Because you can't really understand these things easily. They're abstract. They, they recede from tangible meaning. But, but, but as, we, as we look at these words, and as we understand them, analogies create real, this is the cool thing, creation, all of this, all of this stuff, atoms to galaxies, is a perfect fitting glove for the Lord Almighty. Because he made it to be so. He created the metaphors. And therefore the metaphors can bear the burden of delivering to you real truth, real knowledge about God. These are not merely poetic, I don't know, feel-good sentiments. They are clear, beckoning calls to true knowing, as true as true knowing can be, as true, as truthy as truth can get. Amen and amen. That's what it means when Jesus says that. Amen and amen. And so I want to say, to, be, to, to, to renew that, because part of what light and heart, and this wholeness of heart, and uh, this idea of eyes and clarity, these are all meant, they're all meant to give us insight. Oh, man, to go, oh, wait, what am I looking at? Oh, how do I perceive? Oh, where, where's my wholeness? So, so I, I, I want us to be encouraged. We have a true light. But I want to go even further than this. I, I, if you, I, if anybody here read uh, uh, like, like, like 
pop, pop business books or psychology. There, there are there's so many of them out there, and there are tons of them. But there's a, there's a particular thing I've heard recently. And, and it's, it go, I've heard this ad nauseum. Um, well, you know you have a lizard brain. And your lizard brain, think it doesn't, it doesn't make emotional decisions. That's your frontal brain. That's your mammalian brain. And your, in your lizard brain, your mammalian brain, that, well, they get hijacked by attention and fight or flight. And all and I, I want to say something very clearly. That's all just speculation. I want to hear, you hear that. That's just speculation. And you read these books, it's really odd. I mean, there's some, they have a little psychological abstracts that might point something out, and there is a resemblance to your core stem here to that which is in primitive animals. There's, there's a resemblance. But I just want to, I want to caution you, because what these men and women are doing are making bold claims to write books. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Nobody knows how this all relates in here. Nobody knows. Trust me. It's a, it's, it's, it, is, it is terra incognita in there. It is one of the most, it is one of the last real true uh, uh, places that are unknown is the brain. We don't know anything, really. But we do know what the scriptures teach us. And they invite us to understand our personhood as having a wholeness to it. As having a content. When the Bible talks about the eyes of your heart, listen. Because it's giving you truth about your personhood. About the way you're made. This is biblical anthropology, really. It's a biblical description of what it is to be human. Trust it. Trust it. Because it is a true guide to you and to me. These models that everybody's out here now, I was trying to explain human behavior or trying to tell you how you can change your behavior by accessing your lizard brain. Well, I am highly skeptical, and so should you be. You should be too. These are not substantiated claims at all. But we can trust our God. And, and, and when he talks about the heart, that there's an inner man in you, an inner woman, an inner person, who is a complex integration of many parts, into one human. Trust what the Bible tells you about the way you are. It's telling you the truth. But on the God who made you. So that was my first candy. My first little candy is we, we, we need to pray, like Paul's praying, for the Holy Spirit to do the work of, of opening our eyes, of giving us that clarity we're so hungry for. Clarity, clarity about what? Clarity about what? Clarity about our hearts about what it means to be enlightened. Let's take a look here. I, 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 Paul prays, as, as I said, and we must pray for the Spirit's work in our hearts because we need, so we so need wholeness. This candy I picture, this little candy I picture I want to give you is, is pink and, and it says all of me on it. Now, there's probably a real candy out there like that. It's probably not all that special. <laughs> all of me. This is that candy in the Valentine's grab bag of Jesus. I just made that up. I don't know if that was reverent or not, Bob. All right. Now, what is, what is my point here? We are being invited by this text and by the work of the Holy Spirit, which we pray for, to an integration of our thinking, of our feeling, and of our decision-making. Where the thoughts, the emotions, and the will are integrated and, and I, one, of the, one of the things I'm hungry for in my life, I mean yours, especially when I struggle with, with bipolar uh, issues and, and depression, 
is an integrated heart. And uh, Paul, look at them, look at verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of what? Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. What's got Paul so excited to pray? What's got him bouncing? Integration. And wholeness. You hear the wholeness there? A wholeness in their love for God. A wholeness in their love for others. And the horizontal and the vertical have been joined. They're not separated. like They, we all, get, they all get separated sometimes, don't they? Or all of us, they get separated at times. But how do we line, and I think of this, I think of congruency. I, I, uh, I was terrible at math until I came to geometry. And geometry was like, somebody turned the lights on. I'm like, I like get this stuff. Forget that algebra garbage. I love geometry. And I remember congruency. So if you had two parallel lines, let's say you have three parallel lines, and you draw a line down through it, then you know that the angles of intersection that are go down on each side are all going to be exactly the same if all those lines are straight and those lines are truly parallel. And in fact, you can predict every angle based upon if you know the angle of one angle at all. And each angle will line up. That's congruency. One of the things that we're calling, one of the things, the biblical model for personhood is a congruency with what you think matching what you feel Matching what you do. Our wedding day was, honey, was, was a day when this happened, right? It was very easy for that to line up because the thinking is all there. I was well, thinking about the, that excited. The feelings, they're all there. And we're making the decision. We're making the decision right now. It all came together. Now, that's a blessed day. Most of life's not like that, unfortunately, right? Like you get a call, let's say, to, to, to forgive your brother because uh, he... Or forgive a friend who, who betrayed a confidence. Your thoughts could be here, right? And your feelings could be over here. And then what usually happens to your decision making? It gets lost somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you wind up not doing anything, or you wind up avoiding, or you wind up resenting, or you want. And, and so we can't, we can't get them congruent. We can't get them congruent. And the lack of congruency creates a lot of craziness for us. It creates a lot of dissonance in our hearts and lives. And I guess this idea is that one of the things we're asking for God to do here, having the eyes of our hearts opened up and enlightened here, is this, vision, is this biblical idea of personhood where those things become, become congruent. God heals our inner chaos and incongruencies. He does that stuff. He's doing it in me. He can do it in you. He heals those things, those, those things that don't make sense inside of us. This is the Spirit's work in our cardia, our thinking, feeling, decision-making muscle. And we must be careful. Oh, one of the places this happens, congruency happens, this lack of congruency and everything gets out of whack, is when we know more than we practice. A lot of you older folks, I'm sorry to say, you just have a lot more judgment on your heads. We have a lot, um, you, I, me, we have a lot more judgment on our heads because we know more. When your knowing outpaces your obedience, what happens? Congruency, weird, weird congruencies happen. I want to even encourage you, it, it, it don't, don't let theology sit in your thoughts. Don't let it do that. Uh, theology is like fish. If you, don't, if you don't cook it in three days, you don't use it in three days, it stinks. <laughs> it just does. And, 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 and it stinks to high heaven because it smells like pride. Right? It smells like pride. 
and our pride, and we know, but we don't practice. This is a real problem in the Reformed tradition, by the way. We're our, we've been blessed with such a wonderful knowing, such a wonderful insights, and again and again. But then I, uh, the congruencies are off. And uh, we want God to be healing this, right? This is the healing work of the Spirit when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, opened up. I long for that kind of coherence in my own heart. The second part of this is that, and the thing that's here, uh, the thing that's right here in the text for us to remember is, is what First Samuel, is what Samuel discovers from God when he anoints David. And what does God say to him? You look, man looks on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. What's the point here? It's out of the heart comes all things, including transformation and change. We, God works from the inside out. That's the way he always does. He works from the inside out. And our call and our need for a call to God tonight is for him to work from the inside out in you and in me. To work in and then out. You know, as Christians, and you, you, look, if I've met any people disaffected with the church, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Uh, Christians are just such a miserable bunch of people sometimes. And one of the things that makes them so miserable is a passion about the outside. Shining the outside. Making sure you look good on the outside. Working on the things that people can see. Making sure you've got a fine young Christian haircut. I actually have the PCA, uh, a PCA uniform, khakis and a blue blazer. See? I'm holy. In certain circumstances, make a joke, in certain places, this is considered a badge of you belong here. In Christ, amongst Christians, of all things. We focus, imagine, in the absurdity of this, I'm sure you can hear it, you can see it, but Christ loved to play with this one. And we can play with it ourselves. Let's imagine that our brother Cedric here decided that he was just tired of cleaning his bowls. He was just tired of it and didn't want to do it anymore. So he makes sure, he, he, but, 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 he doesn't want anybody to know that. So he, all of his bowls are scrubbed and disinfected and cleaned on the outside. Anybody want to go eat at Cedric's house? Mm. And if Cedric does that with his heart, if he does that with his holiness, I mean, if he focuses on the outside, not the inside, he's missing the work of the Spirit here, right? He's missing this little Valentine treat from Jesus. God does work in the heart. It's where, that's where all the issues of life change. And it's when God opens the eyes of your heart that other things sort out. And then you can begin to seek and see congruency of thinking, feeling, and decision-making by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about this. This is wonderful. Because wholeness is one of the promises of Jesus. That's what shalom means in Hebrew. And so, I, I, will say, you know, it's like, I want you to hear something here. Um, this is what God says again and again. We cry out to God, I mean, Father, do your heart work. Do your heart work. Do the heart work. Do the heart work yeah, in us. And that's the cry that I want to come up from First Press. That's, how, that's what you need to be praying for me. You know, it's funny. I, I, I ask for these weekly. I've been, I've been asking for, 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 for a long time now for God to, God's work in, in my preaching and my, and my leadership and my holiness. But if, you, if you're really, if you're savvy, some of you are, 
Many of you are. Well, maybe you get savvier tonight. You know what I'm really asking for. You know what I really need. Right to my heart. Life. There's other stuff. That, that follows. Heart work. I need heart work. You need, Craig needs heart work of a different kind. But he also needs this. Amen, Craig? <laughs> so let's go to the third, our third point here. My third candy. My third candy is yellow. And it has a light bulb on it. Paul prays, and we must pray for the Spirit's work to turn the lights on. Because we so need just to get it. I was trying to, trying to figure this the idiom. Get it. Make it click. You know, just like, we have different idioms in our culture about that moment, that, the aha moment where you just kind of go, oh, you know, it, it, Homer Simpson does it. Duh. What's it? Duh. Whatever. You know, like, he finally gets something and he finally understands, but he's usually too late. But what's that moment? The moment of realization. The moments. I'm hungry for those moments. I'm hungry for those moments for us to get it. You know, I, um, the best illustration I remember this was, I read this book years ago. I read a Dr. Phil book. Don't hate me. Some women in the church were reading it, and I, had to, I decided to read it. And I learned from it. Actually, I had a lot of good advice in it. Some good things that man had to say. And, but when he, I were telling the story about, you know, the first question is like, do you get it? Some people seem to get it. and some, He was talking about life, but I don't really care if you get life. I just want you to get Jesus, because then you get eternal life. So, but, uh, he was talking about the time, the first time he was ever arrested, was, uh, first time he was ever arrested as a teenager. He was out with a buddy. A cop pulled him over and, and taken him out of the car and was questioning them with a flashlight. And he said, and, 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 uh, and, and his friend, he, the flashlight's in the friend's face, and, his fr- and, and the cop says, young man, what's your name? And his friend, he was looking, he was on the other side of the car, and Phil, Dr. Phil describes watching his friend say, Scooby-Doo, or something like that. And Phil thinking, why did, he doesn't get it right now. <laughs> He's not getting it. Especially when the officer then took his head and started slamming it against the car. And it's like, you don't mess, that's not the place to make a funny comp. You don't get something fundamental about the world if you're making crap comments to cops and a road stop at night when they ask you your name. You just don't do that. You don't get, there's something you don't get. As important as it may be to get that kind of worldly advice, I want to talk about something even more important to get, and that is to get the God of grace. You see, that's what Paul's really earnest about here, is he really wants. The first way we can understand this is there's a reason this is in the passive voice. The grammar leads us to grace. And this is the sort of thing our God does where he, remember Jesus is called the light in John 1, the light that shines in the world, where God helps you get it. He, he shows you it. He get, where grace, suddenly, the riddle of grace that you are, that a sinners are loved and a sacrifice for sin was put in your place, where you suddenly go, oh, oh, I, really? Oh, you, it's kind of a, it's a funny moment, it's a, it's a gestalt moment. I don't know what, it, it's a paradigm shift to become a believer, to truly, truly put your trust in Jesus. It's moving from a whole paradigm of your own self into him, into grace. It's tough to do that. It's tough to understand it. It's tough to navigate it. That's why you need God to do it. That's why it's in the passive voice. 
been enlightened by another. You have to be enlightened by somebody else. They have to turn the lights on. Show you. This is what irresistible grace is. Where God just, it's almost like, it's really beautiful. God just says, here I am. This is what I really look like. And every human being who he has given that, who can see that, goes, oh, I want that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's just the way we do it. That's the way it goes. That's the way it is. That's the way it happens. Now, now, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to seek the aha moment. Ask God to make clear and to reveal himself to you. Ask God to open the paradigm of grace and the cross and the blood of Jesus. I have to open it up and so you get it. Remember what it says in John 1, that those in the darkness didn't receive the light, but all who did receive him, right? He gave them, he gave them the right, the privilege to be called sons of, sons of God. Mm. Uh, not born of human will in any way, but born of God. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to give you an example of this. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. So in seminary, um, I, was, I was a jerk in seminary. I, I thought I knew everything. I, I, I was always wanted to be the smartest person in the room. And it wasn't just that I thought I was the smartest person in the room. I, I felt like everybody else in the room had to know that I thought that. Or know that that was the case. Yeah, it's a wonder. It's a wonder Jesus loves me. Okay. But that's really what I'm talking about. Anyway. But, all right, so, we're, we're, so one of the things we had to do, and I did not want to do it, was a, a practicum. Oh, gosh, a practicum? Really? And, you know, it's quite, it was on evangelism. Really? And we had to learn evangelism explosion, which was a technique pioneered by uh, uh, James Kennedy and... Uh, down in Fort Lauderdale in the 70s on how to share your gospel in five easy steps. Well, one of the illustrations is, um, you know, you can take this record, let's imagine this is a record of all of Jack's sins. I know it's too thin, but, but, uh, but as we're going through it, you know, look, at, look at this, look at all this, Jack. You know? And you know, if you're sharing with somebody, you'd say, you know, this is when, when, when you have all this sin on you, Jack. And when Jesus comes up next to you at the cross, when you trust in him, when you put your trust in him, all of that is put on him. Now, I'm sitting there learning this, and I, I'm in classes on soteriology and salvation. I'm, I, I'm translating the Greek, and I'm watching that illustration. And he does that, and the guy's teaching the class, and I go, that's, that makes so much sense. <laughs> like I suddenly understood it. I understood the gospel in a new way that I just hadn't seen with my learning, you know, my learning. <sighs> I want to invite you into that process because I think, I think that can still happen for Carol as much as it can happen for Caroline and everybody in between. I, I think it doesn't stop in eternity. I think there's moments in eternity where Corey's going to go, you've got to be kidding me! That's the way it works! Oh, I see now. I see. Because the vistas never end. You know, the reason I couldn't, the reason I wasn't learning at the time was because I had stepped into knowledge without congruency, knowledge without feeling or action. I had turned, turned to knowledge, and, and knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Right? Just like the scriptures say. And when you're, when, you're, when you're proud, there's, no, there's nothing further to learn. 
God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Put yourself in a humble place to learn, to learn more. Ask God to, ask God to make my preaching less obscure to you. <laughs> or less difficult to understand. Why not? I pray that I understand it better so I can communicate it better. I don't care how you get there. We are to pray and to seek a constant renewing, a constant re-seeing, a constant re-grasping. Oh, it's for me! Oh, it's for me! He loves me. And I'm telling you, I have these things all the time. Sometimes I think I became a Christian last week. It's just weird that way when you know Jesus. It's just weird. It happens. Because you think, I feel like I never understood anything before now that I see this. Everything you understood before seems like nothing. And now you have this new joy, this new passion. The lights went on, and you, you got it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Um, I just realized I didn't really write a conclusion for this message. I had one in my head, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you what it is. Put this sermon into practice tomorrow. Do something. Do anything, something to put this into practice tomorrow. I mean, take something. you like, Teach it to somebody else. I don't care. Teach somebody at work. That probably won't work out well. Teach somebody else in the family. I don't know, repeat it to your kids. Repeat it to a friend. Repeat it to somebody. Repeat something you learned tonight because that's what's meant to happen here, you see. Make tomorrow the day that you really pray for illumination, this enlightening work of the Spirit to show you the grace of Jesus Christ, to reveal how clear it is, how the system works, and how it invites you into eternal life and beckons you into hope and joy. Yes, ask for these things. Put yourself in the posture before the eternal God of a, of a humble learner. I don't care how long you've been walking. It doesn't matter. You don't know much because there's so much to know. There's so much to see. There's so much to grow into. Praise him. Let's pray. Oh, Father most high, I thank and praise you that you love us so well. I want to pray like Paul. I want to, I want to pray like Paul. I want to hope the things that ho Paul hopes for. And I, I want that Holy, your Holy Spirit that anoints him so clearly and so radiantly to, to see it. Just a, just a, oh, yeah. Father, I pray. First of all, I, I pray that our, our community would have a new accurate perception. And I pray for a new congruency in our hearts between our thinking, our feeling, and our, and our actions, our decisions. Now, I pray you'd author that by the Holy Spirit. Father, I, that, even when we hear that, it's kind of scary to us, because good grief, I mean, that, that kind of sounds like you're telling us that we, that we need to control our emotions, too. Yes, it, it's exactly what it's saying. And Father, we need you to do things like this. We're not used to this kind of teaching. And uh, we ask for that congruency, that, we can't even do it. We need the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for the, the getting it, the click, that yaha. Let it click for us. And for those who have walked with you a really long time, let it click anew. Let it, let it click anew. <laughs> let it click fresh. You are a living God. You love us so well. Father, we humbly come. And, and that's really what this text is really 
leading us into is, is to come as humble children, <laughs> saying, hey, Dad, it, it, to even understand you or even start to understand you, 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 need, to, you, need, to, you need to open our eyes. Open our eyes and, yeah, open our hearts. Do the work in the inside out. I, I pray that we would be a church, we would be a people, I would be a pastor. We would be, we would be a people uh, that, that are an answer to this prayer. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.